0: SQPN.com presents The Secrets of Angels and Demons Our church is at war hey! This is the first marker The path is a lie Open the doors and tell the world the truth This is it. This is the truth. Angels and Demons. Hello and welcome to the last concluding episode of The Secrets of Angels and Demons. I am Father Roderick and I'm here in Rome looking at a magnificent view. I'm standing on one of the bridges over the river, the Tiber. The river is uh, below me, the water is very calm. Some boats on the left and a small... Well, I think that's a like a living boat. Might be a little house of someone in the water on the right side. But in the distance is uh, the most beautiful view that you can imagine. It is the beautifully lit dome of the St. Peter's Basilica. The Vatican in the distance, And in front of it, some of the other bridges that uh, cross the river Tiber. And I'm on my way to the final destination of Robert Langdon in the story about angels and demons. He has finally figured it out, the last location that he needs to examine in order to find this ticking time bomb of antimatter stolen from the CERN laboratories in, uh, in Switzerland must be at the Castle Sant'Angelo, the uh, castle of the holy angel. That castle is uh, a little bit, uh, it's a little walk from here. So I'm crossing the river, the Tiber right now, and then we move to the left. We're gonna walk underneath some trees. There's still some uh, heavy traffic here tourist buses passing me by and some motorinos sometimes you hear an ambulance in the distance that just goes on and on and on (laughs) always through the night Um, so we uh, turned a corner here we are now walking alongside the river the Tiber and we are going to walk underneath some foliage some huge trees here great place to hang out when it's hot outside and you need some shadow, but since it's uh, night, no need for that. And in the distance, I can already see on top of this circular, very robust structure the huge statue of an angel standing on top of the castle San Angelo with a sword Protecting the castle, protecting the city and lending its name to the building During the day underneath these trees you will have vendors of books Italy is still a country with great admiration for literature despite all the new media that is revolutionizing the world and is taking away more and more time that we used to dedicate to reading and is uh, it is now all going towards video games and DVDs and blu-ray discs and whatnot. But here in Italy, they still love books. I think it's part of their rich cultural heritage. The Castle San Angelo is a massive structure. It really looks like um, a, like this thing is built to withstand wars and all sorts of attacks. It's a very old building, by the way. goes back all the way to the 2nd century. I'll tell you a little bit more about the building once we're standing in front of it. And it's always nice to walk up to... Castle San Angelo from this side because the big castle is right here in front of me. You've got some very char- characteristic Roman pine trees in the foreground. The castle itself is lit by orange lights, and then in the distance, you see the row of lanterns uh, on the Via della Conciliazione, the big street that leads all the way to St. Peter's Square and the magnificent. Basilica of Saint Peter. They did a tremendous job. I think this was all around the Jubilee year, the uh, year 2000, um, re-engineering um, the lighting of the of the basilica. Of course, such a big building is quite it's quite difficult to uh, to to light well, and it, it used to be done in a very simple way, just big spotlights, but um, they invited the best of the best of lighting engineers to come up with a multicolored way of, of just highlighting the beauty of the facade and giving it depth and, uh, and they did a tremendous job because the, the, the sight from here while we were walking on the pavement next to the Tiber is just absolutely stunning. Now we're approaching one of the uh, towers here of the castle of this huge brown fortress that sits there next to the Tiber and passing the tower on the right I'm now standing in front of the main entrance, the main wall And so this is the place, this is the, 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 the pavement where Langdon arrives um, with the police and everybody uh, trying to find that bomb before it goes off. The clock is ticking, it will go off just before midnight and, um, and they have to prevent the disaster. And uh, so it, it, this, is the, this is the most um, important moment in the book. Are they going to find uh, the bomb are the indications are the clues left by um, Bernini and Galileo actually trustworthy is this indeed the final um, end of this path of enlightenment and will this also be the location where the bomb is is uh, can, can be found and hopefully can be diffused um, now I told you uh, in the previous episode that uh, actually <laughs> Castle San Angelo doesn't have much to do with Bernini. Bernini didn't work on the castle, um, nor did he uh, create the sword-wielding bronze angel on top of this building. The castle San Angelo is much, much older. It was dedicated in, um, in the year 139 AD as the tomb of the Emperor Hadrian. It was later on fortified as a strong point in the defences of Rome in the 5th or 6th century. And um, it was slowly modified and built upon and and fortified and turned into a papal fortress that we see today. Now, um, Pope Nicholas III, uh, who was elected pope in 1277, Built a secret passageway that led from the Vatican Palace to Castle San Angelo. Now, you, you might have seen this in a movie. Actually, Robert Langdon and uh, and his assistant, for I always forget her name. They uh, they run across that um, that passetto towards um, the the Vatican palaces in order to warn the Camerlengo who might be in danger and. Uh, you know, they, they, they first enter um, the Castle San Angelo and they go down and they find the, the minivan. And then the policemen, uh, of course, decide to go up again. Whereas uh, Langdon is like, no, 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 no. We got to stay here. It has to be here. And so he finds the entrance to the passetto, to the secret passageway. And uh, and, and this is the real deal. We, we will actually uh, be able to follow um, the uh, the secret uh, safe passage um, from from street level all the way to the Vatican. So this um, uh, this safe passage was built by um, uh, by Pope Nicholas III to uh, as an escape r- route to the fortress if the Vatican came under attack. Um, Pope Alexander VI had to rebuild the Passetto in 1493, and it was actually used um, for real by Pope Clement VII. He had to escape uh, to the fortress during the sack of Rome by the forces of the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V in 1527. And so, uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure that he was very glad that 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 previous pope... uh, Earlier on in history, had uh, made the decision to build this this passageway, this safe way to uh, this fortress. And once you're inside this fortress, uh, it was almost impossible to uh, to get to the Pope. Uh, the defense walls are are very high. There is, you know, once the the main entrance door is shut, there is almost no way to get into uh, the building. Um, you can, of course, uh, try to hit it with. Uh, fiery arrows or something like that but it's all stone so it wouldn't probably hurt or damage the, the castle that much so this was a really a safe place for, for popes so um, even though Langdon connects this, this palace with, uh, uh, with the uh, person of Bernini Bernini himself had nothing to do with the castle however Bernini had everything to do with the big bridge that is right here in front of the uh, Castle San Angelo. And this is actually the bridge of the angels. It is a beautiful bridge also ordered by uh, one of the popes. I forgot who it was. But um, Bernini was asked to create a number of angels to be put on uh, both sides of this new bridge that was built uh, as another, you know, often popes would, would uh, build new bridges to, to allow more traffic to the Vatican and, and, you know, enable people from all parts of the city, not just the rich quarters but also the poorer quarters, to, uh, to have easy access to, to the Vatican. And so this pope asked Bernini to uh, come up with all these different angels. And so that's what he did. And this is the most famous bridge of all the bridges here that cross the Tiber. And the angels are absolutely spectacular. They are all different. Um, Here on the left, for instance, is is an angel uh, who is carrying a cross. Um, There is also an inscription, but in Latin I can't read it. It's too dark. Here's another angel. Um, uh, This angel is holding... um, a piece of parchment with some words. I think it's, what is it, Inri? That could, that could be the inscription on top of the cross, I'm not sure. Uh, let's see, there are two more angels over there in the middle of the bridge. Uh, one is standing there, just waving with his right hand. And this other angel carries a piece of cloth. Perhaps carrying food or something. And since, uh, since angels have no gender, they're not masculine or feminine, um, most of these angels uh, created by Bernini have both like feminine and, and masculine features. It's kind of hard to, to, to see whether, it, you know, well, it's exactly what it should be, <laughs> that is neutral, gender neutral. And so he created all these angels that actually lead the way to the um, castle San Angelo. And... You know, thereby actually pointing us to that final location. Again, uh, it's it's a recurring theme in um, in angels and demons that angels will guide you to your to your destination, and that is how Bernini's angels are actually pointing towards this uh, this castle, San Angelo. So, when Robert Langdon enters the castle and searches in. Uh, the basement, he doesn't find the bomb to his. Uh, um, t- to, well, he, he regrets not finding the bomb, but he does uh, encounter the assassin over there, the, the, the bad guy of the story, who uh, tells him, Well, I, I could have killed you many times before, I didn't, because you're not part of the plan. Um, however, if you try to stop me, then things will change, and so you will risk your own life. What is he to do? The assassin disappears, presumably heading towards the Vatican, and of course Robert Langdon, being uh, the protagonist of the story, has to follow and, uh, it, and, and finds the, the entrance to this safeway, and we are going to follow that safe way. I'm walking now to the left of uh, Castle San Angelo, and there it is. I can see it from here. Um, from the back of the building, here's a, 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 metal, a metal fence. And if I look down, um, actually, uh, I'm actually, I'm, I'm now a little higher than, uh, than the rest of the, of, the, of the terrain surrounding the Castle San Angelo. You can see something that looks like a a small bridge, but that is actually the pillars that carry this this passageway. It's a straight line that exits from the back of the building and goes straight to the left. So, let's go there and follow this, uh, this passageway. And then, if everything is correct, we will end up at the foot of the Vatican. Now, this passageway has been recently restored and uh, a few years ago it was even open to the public for a short period of time. And so you can actually walk there. Normally it's, it's closed. They don't want tourists to walk there. It's, you know, it's not very safe. Uh, again, it's an escape route. It's very small. It's not protected by fences, so, you know, you don't want any accidents. And that is why it is closed, but for the occasion it was reopened very briefly so you could visit it in the movie Tom Hanks is running there but uh, again that must have been a digital recreation now this um, passageway goes up and it actually turns into uh, it's almost like a city wall you would say traffic uh, passes underneath it the two arches, or actually three, but only two are used for traffic. But you can still very clearly see that there must be a road on top of that wall. It's very small, but it is a straight line from Castle San Angelo to the Vatican. Now, there's also a story related to the angel on top of Castle San Angelo. I think it has to do with uh, the pest or something, or there was a plague, and uh, the city was uh, protected. And to celebrate that, they, uh, they put this angel on top of the castle as a, a symbol of, of God's protection. passing by in front of me and behind me. I'm standing right underneath the uh, pasetto. but of course I have to be careful not to be run over. Uh, it's it's uh, pretty dark outside here, and I am, as a priest, walking in a black suit with only a small piece of white plastic, <laughs> my Roman collar, that, uh, that might reflect the headlights of the cars but the rest of me is very dark, very hard to see. So, even though usually uh, Italian uh, drivers are very careful and uh, and pay attention to uh, people that are crossing the road, I'd better be safe than sorry. Okay, let's move. Right, uh, (laughs) safely arrived at the other side, so again I'm uh, walking on a road that is parallel to the Via della Conciliazione Via della Conciliazione is is on my left on the other side of this uh, these buildings by the way on my left is the Palazzo the Palace of Vatican Radio it's a huge building and um, I visited uh, Vatican Radio several times I actually did my own radio uh, final exam at uh, in the studios of Vatican Radio a number of years ago when I was still studying communications here in uh, in rome it 's a huge building um, with uh, three or four floors full of small offices and studios and when you walk around there, you hear literally uh, tens uh, <laughs> Well, many... Why do I say tens? Just many, many, many languages spoken there because uh, Vatican Radio is transmitting to all parts of the world. So you could hear German and French, but also Chinese and Ukrainian and what, what, so many different languages. And um, also another surprising thing is you might think that Vatican Radio is just a bunch of old nuns with, uh, you know... <laughs> recorders but it's actually a lot of young people very talented young people work there uh, it 's a very dynamic um, office here in in the Vatican so i 'm um, still walking uh, next to this uh, Paseto it 's very high up uh, there and this is a huge wall and so the road itself is quite on top of the wall of course this has to have to be extremely safe that is why it 's so tall um, if it were any lower, then it would be easy to climb up on it or shoot the Pope while he was fleeing. And um, to prevent that, they, they created this passageway really high up. And it's, uh, it's also protected by a wall so that you actually can't see who is walking up there. And so, in the movie, they cross this pasetto very rapidly. They're running, and then um, the uh, the bad guy, the assassin, uh, lowers himself on the other side of this uh, this wall with a rope, and uh, he has had instructions to uh, to get a car, and you know he fires up the engine, and the car explodes. A huge explosion and that's the end of assassin so you know no traces left and langdon of course is startled by that uh, by that explosion but he knows that he has to continue at least he's no longer threatened by by uh, this evil dude <laughs> instead there might be a bigger threat because who killed assassin hmm Could there be a traitor in the Vatican? Well, he is soon about to discover. And so he runs all along this passetto. And, you know, I thought it was actually (laughs) that you'd be there in two minutes, but this is very far. And every once in a while there's an opening in the wall for traffic. And here on the right side is a a very touristy area. Lots of... uh, stores for religious souvenirs for all the pilgrims that come here every year millions of pilgrims and so there's also a little bit of a tourist industry surrounding that but you can also find shops where you can buy liturgical vestments and chalices and you know the, the more specialized stuff and since there are so many priests and bishops and nuns <laughs> coming to Rome either for study or for a visit or for a pilgrimage Um, This is a great place to do business when you have a business in, uh, you know, in church-related or liturgy-related material. It's also a place where you can get great ice cream and, and, you know, there are some good restaurants. Don't go for the restaurants that try to lure you with their eight eight, uh, euro pizzas. The more noise they make, usually the worse the food is. So we're almost there. We're nearing the end of this this road. I can already see the columns surrounding St. Peter's Square. There is uh, a bus that goes to Borgo San Angelo. So it goes to the castle of this St. Angel San Angelo. But we're doing everything by foot, staying true to the story. Here is another opening in the wall. And and you can see here that uh, the actual passageway is getting larger. The wall itself is a lot thicker than at the beginning when it comes straight out of of the uh, Castle San Angelo. So the passageway is a lot bigger up there and you can see that it's... Let's see if I can get there without getting killed. These taxis here... driving at full speed. (laughs) Um, The passageway seems to end... um, in a building, although that might just be... hmm, I don't know, a passageway. Here's a final bridge or a final opening in the wall and if you go through this you will be again at the entrance to the Vatican um, that we visited a few episodes ago with the Swiss Guards in blue uniforms and so um, you can just follow this this passageway and you can tell there's a little tower there it looks really really old (laughs) and it it goes, it heads straight into the main building in the main palace of the Vatican uh, not far from the headquarters of the Pope, and, and that is also where you see Langdon arrive, and I think that is pretty close to um, to reality what happens there, um, they, they get stuck, There is they, they come across a door that can only be opened from the other side, from within the castle, of course this was an exit, this was an escape route that went from the Vatican to um, Castle San Angelo, so it may, makes sense that you don't want people to get back into the Vatican. And so uh, that door can only be opened from the other side. And so they start pounding on the door and asking, asking for help. And then at the same time, uh, there is this other dramatic development in the story where the head of security, of Vatican security, uh, kind of discovers that, um, that it was the Camerolengo all along who was the mastermind behind the assassination of the Pope. Um, that he orchestrated all these events or took advantage of them in order to, um, to uh, enhance his chances of becoming the next Pope. But before um, this head of security can denounce him and, uh, and uh, ask for help, uh, the Camerlengo um, brands himself with the final sign of the Illuminati and when uh, the security storms into the room, um, he, they see the head of security with the gun pointing at uh, the Camerlengo, and uh, they make the wrong decision and shoot him as well as another archbishop who is uh, trying to intervene and he's also shot Um, again a very implausible (laughs) sequence of events as if these um, security guards in the Vatican are just trigger-happy cowboys that shoot at anything that moves without asking questions let's just shoot first and ask questions afterwards (laughs) <laughs> that is <it's> very <laughs> unlikely that in reality they would act like that. But hey, it's a uh, James Bond story, so uh, <laughs> it's not reality. Well, I'm um, of course I cannot enter the the Vatican uh, myself. Um, you know, there's a, there there's actually a guard standing there, so I can't uh, move forward. So instead, I'm walking to the left, uh, and I'm now standing in front of uh, St. Peter's Square again. Um, not many people left on the square itself, although the fountains are still working. Um, but they're kind of uh, cleaning it up. I see, I see a, a, a police car still uh, driving around there and some final tourists that are strolling here, but it's it's quite late. And, um, and this is, of course, in the story... The the moment that everything seems to go wrong, um, they find they finally find uh, the the bomb, the antimatter uh, hidden near the rock uh, near uh, Saint Peter's grave. Um, so they they run into the basilica. They open one of those manholes. And they lower themselves. Um, of course, there's a much easier way to to do that. You can just head down some stairs, everybody who works in the Vatican, especially the Camerlengo, should know that, but Nay, no, no, no let's use this manhole in the ground, it's much more dramatic, it's much less efficient, and actually um, you know, I've been standing on top of one of those um, metal grates there, and, and, and if you see how how deep it is, if you go through a manhole like that, you break your legs, but um, it's a movie, so Ewan McGregor has no problems lowering himself, and everybody follows him and then they, uh, they run down uh, another level, and so they enter the, the catacombs. That, that is actually possible from the, uh, the, the place where you see the tombs of the popes, uh, also the tomb of Pope John Paul II. You can actually go uh, one level deeper, and then you are in the really ancient archaeological digs, and, uh, and you can get very close to the, the, the grave of St. Peter itself. Now, the movie doesn't really show you where this bomb is located Uh, it's kind of flashy and camera moves around a lot uh it's probably because they they didn't know how to recreate it and um the actual location the real location doesn't lend itself for uh you know a camera crew and lots of actors and lights so uh they kind of simulate the location but it uh it's it's kind of fuzzy um and so when they arrive there um it is, it is already too late uh, because of the cold in, um, in the catacombs. Uh, the battery has drained faster than they thought and it, it would be too dangerous to uh, defuse it or to replace the battery and take it back to CERN in Switzerland and so the Lango makes a rash decision. He takes the bomb, runs up again, um, enters St. Saint, Saint Peter's Square and lo and behold, there's a helicopter on St. Peter's Square. Another very, very, very unlikely plot element. uh, As far as I know, there's never been a a helicopter that landed in St. Peter's Square, especially not when you've got thousands and thousands of people Standing here on St. Peter's Square, landing a helicopter would be so dangerous. It would create so much wind, so much turbulence. It would just literally blow away a lot of the people in front of the, of the basilica. So that would, be, would have been an impossibility. But anyway, there is this helicopter. And earlier on in the story, they made clear that, uh, that Patrick had had uh, a military formation. So he knew how to fly this helicopter. And so he lifts up, takes the bomb with him. And uh, tries to get as high as possible before the bomb detonates, and then he manages to jump out of it with a parachute. Now, I, I'm pretty sure that scientifically that would be quite impossible. That you would never, ever be able to get the helicopter high enough uh, for that almost nuclear explosion to, uh, um, uh, you know, to prevent it from from destroying half of the city. But uh, well, in Hollywood everything is possible so you see this huge explosion, but by the way one of the most impressive special effects of the movie and the only thing that happens is that the fountains are uh, um, exploding a little bit here on St Peter's Square, everybody uh, is hit, um, falls to the ground, but everybody's okay, nobody dies, and so uh, and even um, even the Camerlengo with his parachute lands safely, a little bit bruised, but uh, he is the hero of the day, <laughs> And so uh, they bring him back, uh, they uh, try to fix him a little bit, clean him up, and then at the, in the meantime, the cardinals have this, this infamous discussion in the Sistine Chapel, and the whole conclave has gone completely haywire. There. You know, at one point, the Camerolengo just breaks the seal and enters the Sistine Chapel, and it's all so unlikely that that would that, that would happen, that, that, that they would allow that to happen. Uh, but anyway, so the, the cardinals are still in the Sistine Chapel, there's no there's no security whatsoever. Uh, everybody is just walking in and out of the Sistine Chapel, and yet they are continuing their discussions on who should be the next Pope. As if they were still in conclave. <laughs> which is very, very unlikely. And then, you know, at one point they, they come up with this so-called rule of Um, election by adoration so if everybody uh, loves uh, the Camerlengo and what he did and admires him and uh, they're all in agreement then he could be the next pope no problem no problem that he's a priest Uh, we'll fix all that later well that rule of course is completely uh, made up it is uh, it is bogus and uh, (laughs) and it would be totally impossible uh, for a, a simple priest to be uh, elected like that in a, in a rush of adrenaline and excitement, uh, that would be totally irresponsible. <laughs> However, that almost happens. But of course, the Camerlengo uh, didn't uh, think that uh, Robert Langdon would uh, rain on his parade. But that is what Robert Langdon does, and so they uh, they are, you know, looking at uh, some of the video that was recorded by the head of security in the Vatican in um, the Swiss CIA like headquarters with all their computers and digital recorders <laughs> which I think in reality are not there but oh well and uh, and they discover the, that uh, the camera is in fact a traitor that that he is the one who set it all up and that the reason that he poisoned his own father or stepfather it's kind of unclear in the movie how the relationship is if he's a real child illegit- illegitimate child of, of, the, of the previous pope or if he's just been adopted as an orphan um, but uh, anyway he killed his own father at least the archbishop who brought who took care of him because he thought that uh, the pope was getting a little bit too soft when it comes to the influence of science and the threat that science poses to faith and to religion and to the power of the church and that is why he thought I can be a better pope let's uh, set some things in motion and uh, protect the church now um, the Camerolengo is uh, not very believable in his position Um, I explained it many times before Uh, in 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 this day and age there is no opposition between faith and science the catholic church is extremely open to scientific progress uh owns and organizes many universities themselves where there's a a great freedom of uh of um, of research of science the vatican is involved in astronomy and all sorts they have experts in all fields um they're closely following and monitoring uh, you know, medical research. Uh, think about the moral implications of that. So they are extremely open to scientific progress and not at all afraid that some scientist will discover the God particle that they talk about in the movie, that would rationalize away God, uh, it would and would completely uh, negate the existence of God because everything would be uh, explainable by mathematics, by physics, by uh, chemistry. Um you don't have to study a lot of theology to to know that that position is is quite uh, is quite crazy, and that it would be impossible for a priest with a little bit of theological formation to hold such a position and and, and act upon it um, so uh, he would have never uh <laughs> passed his first year of theology with ideas like that so that's uh, that's another. Element in the story that is very improbable and un- unlikely, and it, it 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 also betrays a little bit of Dan Brown's uh, prejudice towards organized religion and the Catholic Church. Um, it's a stance that he also takes in the Da Vinci Code. The Catholic Church, according to him, is this big organization, old organization, uh, with lots of old guys that try to cover up the the. Reality, uh, try to hide uh, facts from the general public in order to safeguard their own religious power and uh, the lies that they have been telling the people for 2,000 years now. Well, uh, that is not a very nice uh, attitude towards the Catholic Church. and, and it is also uh, something that uh, Dan Brown has been criticized for many times, both when it comes to the Da Vinci Code, but this same prejudice is also present, unfortunately, in Angels and Demons. Um, and, and, and that is, I think, the final topic, the underlying theme of the book Angels and Demons. It's this, uh, this war, according to Dan Brown, between the world of science and the world of religion. Um, and in uh, in narrating his story, he exaggerates and stereotypes the opposition between the two. Uh, for instance, he has the CERN director say to Langdon, well, the church may not burn scientists anymore, but still wants to keep a grasp on science. Um, think about all these teachers that are not allowed to teach evolution in schools. And, you know, this is not in a movie, but this is in a book, but... I, you know, it's clear, clearly wrong. Uh, first of all, uh, the church has never burned scientists at the stake. That is just a myth. Um, there have been executions, especially during the uh, uh, Inquisition, but those executions were always on account of heresies. So theological problems, not uh, because of uh, people being scientists and researching. And I told you in one of the previous episodes how positive the Pope was towards a guy like Copernicus and, and motivated him and stimulated him to, to, to continue his research, to publish his findings. Um, so, uh, so that is just not, historically not true. The Church has never burned scientists because they were scientists. Um, so the whole revenge plot of these Illuminati you know, killing off these these four cardinals and wanting to destroy the cathedral of faith uh, in favor of the cathedral of science and um, you know as a revenge of the killing of those four scientists that that whole plot is actually historically unfounded and uh, you know it's uh, it has no basis. The church does not feel threatened by science, even though. The lingo, uh feels threatened by science. The The actual, the real Catholic Church does not feel threatened by science. Quite on the contrary, it welcomes science. It's, a, it's an occasion. The more we learn about creation, about uh, the laws that govern it, about the way it works, the more we have reason to thank God for this wonderful world that he created. Now, the second uh, misunderstanding in uh, what this CERN director says in the novel is that... Um, about these teachers that, ma- that are not allowed, uh, uh, these Catholic teachers that are not allowed to teach evolution in schools. <laughs> Let's not forget that this whole discussion about uh, evolution and the literal interpretation of, of, of creation is a Protestant discussion that takes place in certain Protestant circles in the United States. Not all of them, but there is a certain... Uh, a certain part of the of the Protestant population that is opposed to uh, evo- the idea of evolution and defends this idea of creationism. The Catholic Church has never uh, defended creationism as, as uh, you know does not teach at present in the past of course and we've talked about this uh, at length in, in a previous episode the, the church in the past ha- had to switch from this geocentric, uh, uh, cosmology to a more heliocentric uh, cosmology, which, which wasn't easy. Uh, uh, all change is difficult, and it took a while for the Church to realize that on some points it, it, it had erred, and um, and it was too hasty in its judgment of Galileo. But um, nowadays, the Catholic Church is very open to this idea of evolution, even though it's still a theory. Um, but the Church says that there there is no opposition; it does not negate the concept of creation. But you should never read the story of Genesis in the Bible as a literal account of how things came to be. It's a story that, in a symbolic way, in a poetic way almost, tries to explain a few fundamental concepts. And that is that God is the source of everything that is. Um, Everything that that, that exists, uh, including us, we are not here by mere accident by collision of atoms and cells and whatnot, but that there is a purpose in creation and a purpose to our existence as well, there is a plan and that is uh, an important element that uh, the story of Genesis tries to make clear, it also tries to explain that creation was initially good and that if there was evil in the world and suffering and pain it it couldn't come from God and so it, it tells us this story about Adam and Eve betraying the trust of God, misusing, abusing their free will to turn away from God. And that is also the end of paradise. That is when pain and suffering enter the world. It is not because of God. It is because of the betrayal of uh, God's love by mankind. And so it's not a literal account. And in in that respect, um, the church welcomes it further research about the origin of the universe and our own origin and evolution there is no problem as long as you as we maintain a number of fundamental concepts and that is that God has a plan with creation we are not here by accident um, and God has willed us and he gave us a human soul which is created by God our soul is not uh, the result of like a coincidental um, chemistry taking place in nature Uh, Our soul is given to us by God. So even though there has been a lot of tension between uh, different schools of thought, between a faith-based worldview, a geocentric worldview as uh, was not even, you know, didn't even have a, a Christian origin per se. As I told you before, Aristotle also had this geocentric view. It was adopted by many theologians as a metaphor um, where man was kind of in between heaven above and hell below. Also morally in between those. We can choose to lower ourselves, to go in to the depths of hell by turning away from God, or we can look up to the skies, not hold on to the material world and long for our ultimate destination, which is to be with God in heaven. And so this worldview uh, was kind of compatible with this geocentric view, and that is, I think, why it was embraced by uh, thinkers like uh, Thomas Aquinas. And that is also why the church had uh, initially a lot of problems kind of... uh, 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 Releasing that idea of a, of a geocentric cosmos, because it would break this um, this uh, this metaphor of of heaven above and hell below and, and man in between with a free will to choose. However, it it after uh, it took a while, but after a, t- a time, and that's always what happens in the evolution of thought. There is tension, there is conflict, and then you get synthesis and you get acceptance and you get integration of thoughts and. Uh, there is development of thought and in the church you you always see that same evolution of thought of ideas Um, there is tension sometimes there is open condemnation of certain ideas but that's also an affirmation of well this is what we believe in this is what we want to protect but that is uh, something different this tension is something different than an open war um, that is uh, presented by Dan Brown and uh, people like him in, in their theories. That is an exaggeration and a stereotype of uh, of the actual historical um, uh, relationship between science and faith. Now, if you want to know more about uh, our, the Catholic point of view on science and faith and their compatibility, their, their uh, core compatibility, um, I will try to uh, find some links to uh, recent documents by... Uh, Pope Benedict and Pope John Paul II about this very theme. It's it's very interesting material, and um, <clears throat> perhaps I should send a copy to Dan Brown. He might learn something. It might you know help him with his new novel. Anyway, I think that uh, that uh, fundamental core discussion about uh, faith and religion, uh, on the one hand, and science on the other hand, um, since it was the main theme of uh, the book Angels and Demons, is also a good conclusion to uh, this tour, this whirlwind tour of Rome in the footsteps of this fictional character Robert Langdon following the events in the novel and the movie Angels and Demons. Again, uh, I want to thank you for for listening to all these episodes. Thank you for your patience. I apologize in advance if sometimes I've been a little bit too long-winded on certain issues or I've been repeating myself. Um, There might also be a few inaccuracies in uh, the information that I gave you. I didn't have a lot of time to prepare this and to do research, but I tried to give you my best. And um, I hope you enjoyed following me along. I hope this was a little bit more interesting just being here on location, hearing the bells of uh, St. Peter's Basilica in the distance and hearing the sound of the fountains that are still beautifully lit from below here on St. Peter's Square at night. I hope that gave you a very nice visual context, imaginary context, while listening to my, uh, uh, my thoughts about angels and demons and uh, my efforts to try to give you uh, the, the, the facts and the history behind some of these themes and events in Dan Brown's novel and in the movie thank you again for listening Um, if you like this series uh, I would like to invite you as always to go over to iTunes and leave a review of this series, Uh, you can also rate the show and I will also invite, would also like to invite you to go over to the website of the StarQuest production network, if you liked these secrets of uh, angels and demons then check out the other shows that I produce. I've done The Secrets of Star Wars, The Secrets of Narnia, The Secrets even of the Pirates of the Caribbean and The Secrets of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, We also have a very good show about the Da Vinci Code with uh, a lot of um, background information about um, truth and fiction in that novel and in that movie. So if you like this series you might want to check that out. You can find it all on the website of sqpn.com So, from St. Peter's Square here in Vatican at night after a beautiful day uh, with lots and lots of walking, lots of interesting places, lots of discoveries, it's time to say goodbye. I wish you all the best and hope to see you in uh, one of the future episodes of the shows that I produce. Thanks for, uh, for coming along with me. Take care, I'll see you later, and God bless.